0: I spent the last 10 years teaching corporate America leadership and teamwork. Now, I've left my 9-to-5 job to help as many people as possible become leaders in their work and personal lives. Some say leaders are born, but I say they're built. This podcast is the beginning of my mission to create change on a massive scale. Join me and follow along as we explore leadership, teamwork, and growth together. My name is Brian Rolo. And this is Lead with Impact. Hello, and welcome to Lead with Impact. I'm so happy to have you here today. And I really think you're going to enjoy today's conversation. We're going to be talking to Dr. Amir Rashidian. Dr. Amir is the author of the book, The Stress Proof Life The Secret to Health, Wealth, and Happiness. Holding Bachelor of Science degrees in chemistry and human biology and a doctorate in chiropractic, Dr. Amir is the founder of the Mid-Atlantic Chiropractic Center, which was founded in 2006 and serves over 18,000 patients annually. As a consultant, Dr. Amir has worked with 18 different chiropractic practices, 16 of which were startups, and they all reached profitability within the first three months of Business Launch. Dr. Amir is also a very active speaker. He serves on the board of directors of Habitat for Humanity, and he's also a major financial backer of their local projects. And hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to him about why he does that. So I'm looking forward to talking to Dr. Amir and finding out more about leading a stress-proof life. So let's get to it with Dr. Amir Rashidian. Thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Amir. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Really excited to talk to you because I know some of the subjects that you are an expert in are things that I'm interested in and I know things that my listeners are interested in. So I really can't wait to dig in. I'm looking forward to sharing with you. So maybe you can start by telling us, how do you help people?
1: Sure. Uh, You know, uh, a lot of us are, including myself, uh, blame our illnesses and and problems on stress. And we have this sense that if we didn't have any stress, life would be a whole lot better. But the fact of the matter is, uh, when you look at just purely physiologic or biological studies, you'll notice that life requires stress. And stress sustains life. Uh, when when they've done studies in, in laboratories, when they removed stress, the organism they were studying actually died prematurely. So so we need it, we need stress. So so how is it? That, how do we resolve this in our minds, in our hearts, where we say, stress caused all my illnesses. We know stress can cause heart disease, cancer, stroke, diabetes, arthritis, obesity. But then again, at the same time, without stress, we can't live a good life. I mean, I always tell uh, patients, clients. Uh, uh friends the best way to reduce all your stress uh, is to get rid of your family and leave your job and 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 you <laughs> But, but how does that solve any of your problems? So so the solution is let's get stronger. Let's get stronger so we can carry the burden and not have, us knock, have it knock us down. You know, let's get stronger so we can take the hits that life throws our way, that business throws our way and still succeed every single time. If we get stronger, we can take on responsibilities that we want and achieve things that we want to achieve. You know, if you're pursuing a goal or a dream or something you really want in your life, it's gonna come with some stress. It could be that you want a great relationship. If, if someone listening is single and they want uh, they wanna be married, I guarantee you there's gonna be stress with that. If you wanna have more children, there's gonna be stress with that. You wanna start a business, there's gonna be stress with that. So why don't we get stronger so we can handle that stress that's guaranteed to come our way anyways and not have it get in our way. The way I help people is inspire them to live that stress-proof life. Stress-proof meaning like you put on a bulletproof vest. The bullets don't hurt you. If you put on that stress-proof vest, the stress doesn't hurt you. It doesn't cause that illness that it, it could otherwise.
0: So basically the methodology is forget getting rid of stress. Just become better adapted to handling it. Yeah, I love that word. Adaptation is the key. That's great. So I really want to dig into that because it sounds great, but I'm sure there's a how and we can picture the why and that we have to do it. But the how is interesting. And I think that's what people would like to hear. But before we get to that, I'd like to hear a little bit about your journey. I know you've got a very interesting journey for you to get to this point. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, so I decided to um, become a doctor when I was nine years old, and the reason was my dad and I were traveling through the remote villages in the country of Iran, and uh, Dad wanted to kind of show me how the underprivileged lived. And so, in this one village, a woman went into labor. She was in tremendous amount of pain, uh, irregular contractions. Nobody knew what to do to help her. And a midwife walked over. She knelt down and examined her, listened to her for a minute, stood up, said, "I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do. There's no heartbeat." Uh, and uh, this lady's not gonna survive. And she actually got up and left. And uh, people had gathered around hoping to help, one by one they start to leave and, and, and her husband was standing right there and he just kinda collapsed to his knees, started crying. And at the age of nine, I was looking into the eyes of this young woman who was just told, she's not gonna live another few hours. And I started to have a panic attack where, you know, uh, uh, your chest feels really tight. Your throat gets all choked up and, you know, you're having trouble catching your breath and tears were pouring down my my face. And my dad, he, he saw me, he picked me up, he held me, he carried me out of there. He calmed me down. And then the two of us climbed down the mountain. We got in our car to drive home on the drive home. I said, Dad, I don't want to feel like that ever again. Like what? You know, helpless, like you can't do anything to to be use, be of use, be of help. He said, what will you do about it? I said, I'll go be a surgeon. I'll be the best surgeon in the whole world or carry my medical bag with me everywhere I go. And I'm just going to spend my life saving lives. 10 years passed and I was a student at uh, George Washington University here in Washington DC and and I was on track you know I was on pace to apply for the early selection for program and get into medical school and so on I went home for Christmas break my sophomore year I walked into our home and uh, which was in the United States at the time and I uh, uh, walked in, my dad had this big thick white neck brace on and he was under the influence of some heavy painkillers and he couldn't lift his arms. He was n- limp and numb from the shoulders down. And uh, so we spent my Christmas break going from doctor to doctor trying to figure out what is wrong with my dad. And every doctor we went to said, this is way beyond my scope. You better go to this other doctor. We ended up in a neurosurgeon's office and the neurosurgeon said, we need to cut you open. We're going to slice you open in the back of the neck. We're going to break and remove the bones in the back of your spine. We'll put these rods and screws in, fuse your whole neck. You'll never turn your head again and you may not regain function of your hands. And we're just hoping you'll have less pain. And there's a chance you're not going to survive. So um, long story short, dad was 70 years old at the time. And uh, but, you know, there's such a thing as a young 70 and an old 70. You know, dad was the old 70. He just hadn't taken good care of himself. So anyways, we, so we met with three separate neurosurgeons and then we got in a taxi to go home and I was sitting in the back of the taxi carrying his MRIs and x-rays and CTs and I looked over at my dad and he was cringing because every bump that taxi hit was sending this lightning bolt of pain through his body. Looking in his eyes, I could tell he just wished to die. He just didn't want to live anymore and emotionally, I got transported back to that village where I saw the woman slowly die in her husband's arms and no one could help. And I'm feeling the same exact helplessness that I felt before. Well, this taxi driver who was driving us, he looked at us in the rear view mirror. He said, sir, I noticed you're in a lot of pain and I know you asked me to take you home, but there's this chiropractor right down the street. Would you rather me take you there? I said no. I was 19. I I was a 19-year-old know-it-all. I thought everything had to be healed with drugs and surgery. Dad knew better. He said, let's try it. So we showed up to this chiropractor's office. Long story short, he was able to help Dad. Six months later, Dad didn't need any help. He didn't need a neck brace. He didn't need any painkillers. He he didn't need the surgery. He was able to move his arms and go back to work and do everything he wanted to do. You know, My dad lived to be 88 and uh, he lived long enough to stand next to me as my best man when I got married, and he lived long enough to meet my first, first son when he was born. And uh, yeah, it, it, one of my passions, what, one of the things that drives me is I always say, uh, if, if you're not healthy, who else suffers? Because I remember suffering when my dad was sick. I remember my mother suffering when my dad was sick. And if I let my health decline, uh, then everybody around me suffers as well. So the focus is, hey, let's take care of you first let's put yourself first and let's set the example. So anyway, since then I, I've, I've opened multiple chiropractic offices. Uh, right now we have a fairly large office, very busy. We're, uh, we, we see close to 20,000 visits on an annual basis. I have uh, two other chiropractors on the team with me. We're a total of 11 people on the team and uh, hopefully looking to open more locations as well. And I did some consulting with other doctors and chiropractors as well and um, so here we are.
0: That is an amazing story. And I got to dig into a couple parts of that because I'm just, I'm just curious now. Sure. So basically the way I understand it is if you hopped into a different cab, things could have been totally different. Oh my gosh, yeah. I don't even remember what, remember what the guy looked like. Wow, that's crazy. And so just seeing that experience and seeing how chiropractic was able to help your dad inspired you to choose it as a career exactly exactly because I would love to be able to see people have
1: uh, be dependent on fewer drugs and not need any surgery
0: so that's what chiropractic does that's amazing and can you tell me a little bit about the part of the story that you sort of skipped over and that's when you started at nine in Iran and then later you're a teenager in the US that, that there's got to be a story there
1: well, sure. You know, the, um, I, I remember um, seven years old. Uh, actually, I was five years old when there was a revolution in Iran. So I remember seeing fighting in the streets and batons and tear gas and all kinds of stuff. I remember people, people being beaten and stabbed and uh, the the government changed over and, and uh, you know, the country uh, just transformed uh, in an instant. So I was five when that happened. When I was seven, uh, I remember being in a uh, in an apartment and my mother said, don't forget to turn on your radio before you go to bed tonight. So we all had a radio in our room and we we turn it on and turn up the volume. There was no programming. It was totally silent. And a uh, little after midnight, this loud siren blared through the radio and I jumped out of bed and flew out the room. And with my family, we went out the apartment, ran down the hallway, ran down the stairs all the way down to the basement, this cold dark, damp basement where everybody else from the building was hiding. They were scared. And all of a sudden, we hear this uh, roar of this jet plane fly overhead. And then we hear the whistle of a bomb that had just been dropped. And this whistle is getting louder and louder as the bomb is obviously getting closer and closer. But you can't tell where it is because with the untrained ear, you can't place it. It could be right over your head or it could be a block away. And you just have to hope and pray that you're not gonna die in a second. Well, then we heard this giant explosion, the walls shook and the lights flickered and we realized the bomb had just fall, fallen somewhere else and we were still alive. But That was the kind of stress, Uh, our main house, where we lived was up north near the Caspian Sea. So the war didn't really affect us there as much. This was only when we were visiting family in Tehran in the capital. But up north where we lived, it was more of a vacation area, lots of recreational facilities and so on. But then after a couple of years of the war going on, Saddam Hussein had attacked Iran because Iran didn't really have a government and wasn't able to defend itself. Anyways, there were so many prisoners of war that they turned the uh, park across the street from our house into a POW camp. And so walls went up barbed wire everywhere. And then once every couple weeks, one of the POWs, one of the Iraqi POWs, would escape. And there would be bullets flying through the streets, this quaint town by the beach that's supposed to be a vacation area who had bullet holes in the walls. And we'd all have to run inside and hide and and wait it out. And there'd be a knock on the door. Uh, We had this big orchard of orange trees in front of our house and they would ring the, the, the bell. And we had to open the door because if it was our soldiers and we didn't open the door, they would arrest us. But if it was the POW who was looking to hide, they would come in and take us hostage. But either way, you have to open the door. Wow. So we'd open a door and soldiers would pour in and search our house to make sure we're not hiding one of these prisoners. So after all of that, my dad said, I'm gonna get us out of here. And, and he moved uh, my mother and I to the United States. And we showed up in Los Angeles in 1985. I was 11 years old. Uh, I was just about to turn 11, know, didn't know the language, we didn't have a home, we didn't really know too many people, and the people we were supposed to stay at said, we can't take you. So we were kind of homeless, bouncing around from place to place for about a year, and uh, finally, this uh, th- th- there was a doctor who knew my dad. He called my dad, said, I wanna help your family. I'm gonna buy a house on the East Coast in the United States, and I'm gonna sell it to you with no down payment and no interest. You just tell me what you can afford to pay on a monthly basis. I don't want it to be a free house to you. So he bought this little townhouse in Maryland, and, and my dad moved us in there, and uh, that townhouse, you know, after my dad haven't made payments for about 10, 15 years, the guy said, I'm just gonna forgive the rest of the debt. The house is yours. And then that house grew in value and I used that to, to, you know, pay for some of my college. I used the equity in that house to start my business. I used the equity in that house to pay for my wedding. I mean, that house ended up being everything. And it's all because this one angel um, decided to help out my dad.
0: What a gift that was. Absolutely. That is a fascinating story. I guess if I was you, I would just be thinking about all the different ways that could have gone differently. I guess we all have that in our lives, but really, yours is such a dramatic example.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, it, my my dream uh, right now is to one day find a family and buy them a house, yeah. and uh, and and so I've I've since then I'm, I serve on the board of uh, directors at Habitat for Humanity, and that's that's what Habitat does is we we help build homes for the underprivileged. And until I have the resources myself to go out and start buying homes for families. Uh, I'm just going to do it that way.
0: That is great. So let's jump back to the stress-proof life. We talked about that early on, the fact that we shouldn't try to get rid of stress. We should just be stronger when it comes. How do we do that?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, based on my story, you know, I'm not a stranger to stress. Uh, And uh, um, certainly I I think uh, life would have been a lot easier if I didn't have that stress. But looking back, I'm grateful for every one of those experiences because it made me who I am. And it allows me to be able to teach my children, hopefully, a a better way of handling that stress. So um, I want to make it real simple. Uh, How the human body works is is first off stress, we need to define the word. Uh, That word, the way I look at it is it's a force. So it's a force that can cause change in your life. Now the change it causes can be negative or positive but the force itself is neutral and that's something that's going to be hard to wrap your head around because uh, uh, most of us think of stress in in the psychological dimension and we go where there's nothing good about stress. But stress is actually three-dimensional. There can be physical stress, there can be chemical stress, and there can be obviously psychological stress. So, if life was made up of three coins, and these are the three dimensions of life, which I just mentioned—physical, chemical, and psychological—every coin has two uh, two sides to it. There's every coin is two-sided. So, if we were to only look at the psychological side uh, dimension, one side is. Uh, allowing your mind to think good thoughts, to stay positive, to stay enthusiastic through the thick and thin. But then the opposite of that is kind of avoiding some of the negative as well because Every negative thought physiologically has a response in your body. You know, we can close our eyes, visualize an attractive person in front of us. Different hormones get released in the body, and if we close our eyes and imagine our worst nightmare having come true, a whole different set of hormones get released in the body, and one can make you sick and and, and very um, um, in unable to to. Succeed and do the things that you want. So, in the chemical dimension, the two sides of the coin would be uh, deficiency and toxicity. You want to feed the deficiency with the things that you your body needs, and then you want to avoid. Toxicity. So, so our world is full of toxins right now uh, with, with electromagnetic uh, radiation to uh, the substances we find in water and soil and food and everything else and, and the whole gluten problem and all of that. And then you've got your physical dimension. Physical, uh, one side of the coin would be exercise, activity, but the other side is rest. You know, we can do, we could overdo it on, on either side. So there has to be a balance on both sides of each of these three coins. So the definition of the word wellness, wellness is the degree to which health and vitality are experienced in every dimension of life. If you want to experience health and vitality, you need to improve these three dimensions on a simultaneous basis meaning you can't focus on the physical and ignore the chemical and the psychological. You can't focus on the psychological and ignore the chemical and physical. But if you improve each dimension by just a little bit, you see massive improvements in your overall wellness and your wellness allows you to adapt to stress better. So the definition of health is function. I also say your level of health depends entirely on how much stress you can handle. So, I'm sorry, the phone's ringing here. It's okay. All right. So, so how healthy you are determines how much stress you can handle. So, so let's say um, my adaptation potential, use the word adapt earlier, it, it, we call it general adaptation potential, let's say, uh, or GAP, gap for short. So, your gap is, is a certain length wide, right? And if your level of stress goes beyond that gap, you're definitely going to get sick. You'll get a sinus infection. You'll catch a cold. You'll, you'll have heart problems or whatever it might be, blood pressure issues. But as long as your stress stays within that gap, you won't get sick. So my focus is let's widen that gap. Let's increase your adaptability to stress. And we approach it with those three dimensions and the two-sided coins.
0: So how do you do that? How do you build that gap?
1: Perfect. So the the human body, you know, um, needs to respond to the outside world. So we've got DNA inside genetics and all of that stuff. And I don't want to get too far into that. But the inside world has to communicate with the outside world. So when you see something, your brain will process what you just saw, whether it's bullets flying through the street or a bomb that just got dropped, or someone who gave you, you know, who served you notice or a subpoena to show up to court or whatever it might be, um, your your eyes will see it or your ears will hear it, your brain has to process it. Then when your brain processes it, it sends information out to various organs, glands, blood vessels, muscles, tissues, to respond to that. There's an action, right? So that process is done by the nervous system. The nervous, the ner- There's a nerve that connects your brain to every cell, every tissue, every organ in your body. The fact that you know whether you're sitting or standing is because nerves are telling your brain that you're sitting or standing. You don't have to look at your knees to tell me if they're bent or straight. You just know because there's communication there. That communication is of utmost importance because how you perceive stress is determined by Freedom in those nerves to communicate with the brain and then how you respond to the stress is the same thing. Where chiropractic comes in is we search for and in our office we will do extensive Uh, analysis on on the bodies of our patients that come in, we'll run scans and tests to see how those nerves are being interfered with, whether a sensory nerve or a motor nerve or an autonomic nerve, nerves that control your organs and glands. And then once we find that interference, we find out what's causing the interference. When we remove that interference, now your brain and body can communicate a lot better. Now, an example might be there may be a misalignment of a vertebra at the very top of your spine, which is just below your skull. Any misalignment there can affect the brainstem, can put can negatively put pressure on the brainstem. Once it does that, all of a sudden, the symptoms that can ar- ar- uh, arise over a period of time are things like headaches and migraines, dizziness and lightheadedness, ringing in the ears and numbness in the face. It can cause ADD, ADHD, sleep apnea, insomnia, depression, anxiety, mood swings, all of that can occur if there's interference on that brainstem. So through a specialized set of x-rays, once we know there's nerve interference there, we'll figure out where that alignment is and then we'll design a process of correcting that misalignment.
0: That is fascinating. And this inspired your book. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. And, and you know, in the book, I, I mentioned what's called the simple seven, seven simple things you can do outside of chiropractic. To increase your ability to uh, to handle stress, so so a few of those would be things like sleep. Uh, how you sleep is more important than how much you sleep. Food. How you eat is more important than what you eat. This is controversial and very countercultural. Um, then you know visualization. Can you spend thirty seconds visualizing yourself on vacation, and how would that help you? How you breathe. We can control our breathing if we're conscious of it. So what if we did certain breathing exercises to shift our bodies out of fight or flight and put it back into a, what I call rest and repair. That's where all the good things happen in your body, how you digest your food. Um, other uh, things are music. How are we using music to increase our adaptability to um, to stress? So anyways, there's, there's seven things we, we talk about in detail. That's great. And what's the name of the book? It is called The Stress-Proof Life. Stress-Proof is one word. Perfect. And where can people
0: find that? It's on Amazon. Great. We will link that in the show notes. I'd like to hear some of your tips on business as well. Reading about you, I really was fascinated to learn about, as you said, how you've launched multiple businesses and that you had, um, let me find my notes here, systemized marketing plan to launch those businesses. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. So so
1: everything is about thinking ahead. You know, we, we had this 10-week checklist for any chiropractor who wanted to open their own practice, and they, they, we, we would have them do certain things on week 10, week 9, week 8, week 7, all the way up, and a lot of that had to do with, with planning out that marketing. However, um, I firmly believe there's two things that really lead to success in, in, in our organization. One is capacity, and, and when we talk about capacity, we always usually think about uh, physical capacity you know the space how how big is your office or how big is your uh, facility or or how many cars do you have or how many parking spaces that's just one small aspect of it there's a physical capacity where it's the ability of the person when do you get tired how fast do you get tired there's an emotional capacity especially as a doctor as a as a servant you know how how many people can you serve before you lose that ability can you stay at the top of your game through the day so there needs to be training on that. So part of, I believe, our success was that we really focus on head, heart, and hands is do you have the mental capacity, do you have the physical capacity, and do you have the emotional capacity, and then do your team members have that as well. And uh, another thing that, that I really focus on is, and this came out of a while back, I remember getting really frustrated and anyone listening who has employees knows this, is sometimes you feel like you're working for your employees and not the other way around and and i remember just struggling and being really frustrated and upset going who's working for who here you know i i signed their paychecks why aren't they doing what i'm telling them to do and then all of a sudden something flipped in my mind i said what if we had an upside down org chart what if we had the culture of 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 um, reverse accountability and reverse accountability I mean what if I was accountable to them instead of them accountable to me you know um, a, a typical organization chart you've you'd have me at the very top and then you've got the the management, you know, upper management and middle management and the customer service reps. And then at the very, very bottom, you've got the customers, right? But what if we flip that upside down and said, what if the top of the org chart is the customer and then the next level is is the customer service people and all the way down to me? And I'm at the very, very bottom. And I'm the servant who works for all these other people. They need to hold me accountable. Ultimately, the people who work for me are here because I brought them here. I made them certain promises and, and part that is I need to provide them with the right work environment I need to make them feel appreciated and respected and I need to make sure I'm paying them what they're worth and 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 so so there's nothing wrong with believing that you work for them and not the other way around so so we created this whole thing we call it the culture of reverse accountability and the upside-down org chart going back to marketing you know there there, there's no wrong way to market uh, especially a new business the problem is how much money do you have? And you can certainly replace the need for money with effort. So my wife and I used to walk the streets. We drew a one one mile radius around our um, office before we opened and we knocked on every door. And and so we'd we'd meet people in the streets. We'd go home and we'd handwrite thank you notes and send it out. So we would up we'd be up till two three in the morning, handwriting thank you notes. And then I'd go work where I had a second job. And then the next day we'd go door to door again. We met every business owner within that mile radius, and we'd ask them questions like, Hey, listen, we're thinking about bringing our practice to this. Location. Um, I want to know where your customers come from. I want to know how you're marketing to your customers. And I also want to know once once we're your neighbor and once we're working in this town, uh, how can we be of service to you? How can we team up with you? How can we serve you? How can we help you in your business? What are your biggest needs? And we said those three things to every business owner in town. And then when we opened our office, we got flooded with new patients. They came in and they, um, they supported us and the other businesses supported us and, and the rest was history.
0: That's a great mantra, I think, especially when you're getting started. If you don't have the budget, replace the money with effort. And I think people sometimes are unwilling to do that. I mean, it takes a little bit of courage. It takes a little drive to go knock on doors, but it sounds like I had great results.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and you know, we had some doors slammed in our face, but then we had plenty of nice people who invited us in and and gave us tea and coffee and made us sit and talk to them. So, you know, it balanced out. It's
0: fascinating. So we're getting close to the end of our time here, but I do have a couple more questions I can ask you. Sure. If you could send a message to yourself a few years ago, say 10 years ago, whatever number you want to choose, what would that message be? Uh,
1: Number one be fearless and take more risks. Um, you, you know I I I and and this may be too idealistic of me but I believe if your heart's in the right place and you're willing to put in the work you're going to succeed. So we we get in our own way. We we let uh, you know 10 years ago I had started my my the practice that I'm in now and we we were doing well. Um but I got complacent and I, and I stopped trying to, you know, you stop being hungry. You, you, you get comfortable and you start to rely on the resources that you have and, and you stop taking chances. So uh, had you said, um, you know, 18 or 19 years ago, I was a single guy fresh out of chiropractic school. I could have done more. You know, but you overanalyze things and you start to think, hey, listen, no, I can't open my own practice because I need to learn this and I need to learn that and there's laws and there's rules and there's this. But if you thought like a high school dropout who didn't know there was all these regulations and all these roadblocks, then you would just go after your dream and you wouldn't worry about it so much. So, so the biggest advice I'd have
0: for my younger self would be just take risks, go for it, you'll learn on the way. That's right. I've seen so many times where it's important to have a plan but you can obsess about that plan so long instead of taking action. I think there's a, a spot you have to hit where this is enough of a plan in order to take the next step. That's exactly it. And if I could give you a billboard to put in front of the world and you could have one sentence on there, what impact would you make with that billboard? What would be your message?
1: Um, you know, the the only thing that comes to mind this is a Really good question, Brian. I love it. Um, the, the, the only thing, the biggest thing comes to mind is uh, really trust God. Um, p- put your faith in God. Believe that there is a higher power who created us and, and looks over us and, and uh, wants the best for us. And, and I think we need to have faith. So, so maybe it would be a few words trust God, have faith.
0: Well, that's a great message. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. I really enjoyed talking to you, and I think I and our listeners learned a lot. Likewise, I enjoyed speaking with you as well. Thank you so
1: much for the opportunity.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of Lead with Impact. If so, if you could find us on your favorite podcast platform and like, subscribe, rate, review, download, any of those things would be greatly appreciated. In the meantime, thank you for being with me. Go out, have a great day, lead with impact, and I will talk to you soon.